Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Debbie Manning. I'm part of the congregational care team here at Christ Presbyterian Church. We're in the third week of our Advent series, and we're calling that series The Nature of the Messiah When Heaven Came Down. A couple weeks ago, you heard from Carrie Gleason. She spoke about the Messiah of justice. And last week, John talked to us about the suffering Messiah. And today we're going to talk about uh, Messiah the Comforter. But one thing you need to know about me is when I preach, at my home that's known as Preach Week. And that is something that's not said with a sense of excitement. It's a little bit more uh, said with dread. So in my home during Preach Week, you'd find notes and commentaries and books spread all over my countertop, my coffee table, the desk, and um, I'm not quite myself during Preach Week. And I thought for a while that this was kind of a joke within my family, but a few months ago I was preparing for a message at the table, and my new son-in-law, Jake, walked into our house And he set a bottle of whiskey on the counter and he looked at my husband with which only could be described as sympathy and he said, Steve, this is for you because I heard it was preach week. (laughs) Well, (laughs) you can only imagine the thoughts that were going on in my family when I found out I was preaching two weeks in a row. (laughs) Two weeks of preach week. I don't think we can handle it. But as God would have it, I preached at the table last weekend, and we're in the narrative lectionary, and it just happened to be the exact text last week that we were using here this weekend. So I am one happy camper. Um, Needless to say, my whole family is happy. But I do love Advent. And for me, Advent always starts the first Tuesday in December at the candlelight memorial service. About 250 people gather right here in this room with candlelight and music and we remember the people that we've loved and that we've lost. And the beauty of the night is that we stand in the pain together and at the same time, we hold on to the comfort of the coming Jesus. And with all that's going on in our world, in our communities right now, I feel this yearning for that comfort more than ever. And it's that cry of those that are in exile, those suffering, those in pain, those being persecuted, that have us hanging tight to a God who hears our cries and comforts us in our pain and suffering. About a year and a half ago, our, old, our youngest daughter, Kate, spent about five um, months in Malta. It's a small country off the coast of Italy, right in the Mediterranean there, close to Europe, not too far from North Africa. And three times a week, Kate and a bunch of college students taught English to uh, asylum seekers, people waiting for refugee status from Northern Africa. And those were people from um, Eritrea, Somalia, Libya, from Syria. They had fled their homes, their families, They were trying to escape civil conflict and unrest. They were being persecuted and their lives were in danger. And Kate sat with these mostly young men, some young women, each and every week, 
As they built a relationship and they got to know each other, the stories came out. Stories that were beyond eye-opening for a 20-year-old from Minnetonka, Minnesota. And what they told her were stories of watching their friends and family members be killed, of having to flee their countries for their own lives. Stories of trekking through countries and multiple checkpoints at the borders where these vulnerable people were being robbed and abused and raped. They were trying to get to Italy, and they spent everything they had to get loaded onto ill-equipped boats that oftentimes sank. And if they were lucky, they were caught by the Maltese Coast Guard, and they were placed in detention centers that were a little bit like prisons. They were stuck in Malta. They were refugees waiting in exile, waiting for a second chance, waiting for a new life where they might have some peace and security. They were hoping to see their families again. And in the middle of their exile, God brought his comfort through a group of college students who were scared and uncertain They didn't know what they were doing, but they showed up, they listened, and they saw the humanity in each and every person that they met with. And unbeknownst to any of them, they brought God's comfort to people in exile. And our text tonight or today speaks just to that. God the Comforter is right here, right now, wherever we are, personally, globally, communally, whatever our exile looks like, no matter how distant God may feel from us, he is here. He not only responds to us with comfort, but he calls us to comfort others. Now we're in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, we're in the book of Isaiah. And the book of Isaiah, we could really break that up into two parts. First, Isaiah covers chapters 1 through 39, and that deals with Judah and God's warnings to his people to repent from their unfaithfulness. But they don't respond, and God sends them into exile. Now, Isaiah doesn't describe, but what we know happens is that Jerusalem and the temple is destroyed in about 586 B.C. Now, the exile is anticipated in chapter 39, and it's assumed in chapter 40. Now, the second half of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah of the Exile, is from chapters 40 through 66, and that's where our text today comes from. And it speaks directly to the needs and the despair of the people of Judah, who now live in Babylonian exile. Isaiah 40, 1 through 9. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now I'm going to pause here because in 40 verse 1, the tone completely changes from the first half of the book of Isaiah. God is no longer coming to his people 
with warning and judgment. He's speaking to a people that have been in exile for almost 100 years, a people that have been living in misery and despair, who've been traumatized by war and by loss. God knew what his people needed, and his first words to them after a long, dark night of exile were words of comfort. In verse 3, a voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway to our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So God uses this road construction sort of metaphor. He uses it to say, God is coming for you. And he's going to take you out of exile. So prepare the way. Remove the rocks and stones. Fix the road because I'm coming for you. And what Isaiah is really saying here is prepare your hearts because God's coming. God's coming. And in six, a voice says, cry out. And I said, but what shall I cry All people are are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, Lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Don't be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. This passage can be described in one word. Comfort. The text is a word of tenderness after a very long and dark night. And at issue is the situation of God's people. Think about their misery. Stripped of everything familiar, their temple destroyed, their homeland laid waste, they're under the oppressive rule of an enemy. And God's people, they're depressed, they're discouraged, they're suffering. And Isaiah's message takes our frailty as human beings and contrasts it to the word of God that stands forever. God calls Isaiah to bring good news, to shout it out, God is here. And the good news that Isaiah talks about is the saving work of God to come. God knew his people's pain and he responded. Comfort, comfort my people. Well, I think comfort doesn't mean all that much unless we've experienced exile. And what does it mean to be in exile? What does exile look like us today, 
And I think that maybe exile can feel like persecution, isolation, loneliness, separation from God and from others. And I think for the most part, we don't freely choose exile. It's forced upon us against our will, and yet even in exile, God speaks words of comfort and hope. Now, I started with this story about my daughter in Malta and the number of refugees in our world today has sent us into a crisis. There's people in places like Syria, Iraq, Africa, Mexico, just to name a few, that are fleeing persecution and insecurity. And yet, even in exile, God speaks to his people. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low and all people shall see the glory of the Lord revealed together. Racism, sexism, homophobia, xenophobia, even being single can exile people from community and a sense of belonging. Yet God speaks to his people. Extreme poverty for women and children and men can exile people from the rest of humanity. The emotional and spiritual exile of poverty can be extreme. And yet even in exile, God speaks to his people. The uneven ground shall become level. The rough places a plain, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And what about grief? We do not choose to grieve. Grief chooses us when we experience loss. A broken relationship and grief exiles us from all those interconnected relationships. A loss of job, of career, of dream can throw us into exile. A loved one dies, and grief exiles us from others. It exiles us from our normal routine, and all of a sudden, our life seems different, uncertain. And exile can certainly be identified as loneliness and isolation, and grief often leads us right there. And yet, even in exile, God speaks to us. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And in our most hopeless moments, our most challenging times, our greatest feelings of exile, God does not abandon us. God comforts us in our exile. He will feed his flock like a shepherd, He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them close to his heart and gently lead the mother sheep. And I think the message here is twofold. God's comfort is for us. And it's also about a call to us to comfort others. We hang on tight to God's comfort, but just like God commissioned Isaiah, he commissions you and I to comfort us with the comfort that we've received from God. And significant in this text is Isaiah's question to God 
What shall I cry? And what does God say? Lift up your voice and shout, here is your God. And every time we love someone in exile, we bring God's comfort to others. When we're down at that fourth precinct in the last few weeks, praying with people that are hurting, we are saying God is here. And when we prepare meals and serve them down at Calvary or Loaves and Fishes or Young Life, we're claiming God is here. And when women in this community walk along young moms in North Minneapolis, they're stating God is here. And when we fill those bins out there with gifts for the joy of giving, we're claiming God is here. And when those people from the prayer team show up week after week and they stand in the back of this church and they pray words of love and comfort to people, they're crying with them, God is here. And when our student ministry walks alongside our high schoolers and middle schools that are navigating their own kind of exile, they're showing them God is here. And when a sister whose cancer came roaring back three weeks ago, found out on a Wednesday, told her principal on a, two, on a Thursday, and went back to school on a Friday, and all her fellow teachers pulled her, their sick days for her, it is a chorus of people singing from the mountaintop, God is here. Because here's the thing. We will all experience pain and suffering we will all spend time in exile. But we can receive the comfort from God just as we're called to give it. Will you be the voice for others? Will you be the voice in the wilderness? 2 Corinthians Chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, which is one that I use often. It's, it's the verse we base lay care ministries on. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. Well, I have a friend... Andrea Johnson that I'm inviting to come up. Andrea and her family, hi Andrea, you can have a seat, have experienced and continue to experience their own time of exile as they grieve the loss of, um, for Andrea, it's a brother-in-law who died this last January, and Andrea has agreed to come up and tell us a little bit about that. So Andrea, tell us a little bit about Chase. Tell us a little bit about your story. Sure. So um, Chase is my brother-in-law, my husband Phil's younger brother. Um, we're actually the same age. And um, back in 2011, he um, had just trained and ran his second marathon, the Twin Cities Marathon, and was just complaining of some stomach issues. And 
went in and within 24 hours we learned that um, not only was it cancer, it was colon cancer and it was stage four. Mm -hmm. So um, a shock for him and our family and really from that point forward from 2011 up until this January have been going through that journey with him. Treatments and good news and bad news and kind of the ups and downs of Mm -hmm. all of his um, illness and journey. Mm -hmm. Well, um, Chase uh, died. He passed away this last January on the 5th. And the weeks leading up to that, um, I spent some time with your family and uh, got to see this community of people just love you guys. Tell us a little bit about um, this time when you knew that Chase was dying and how you guys experienced God's comfort during that time. Sure, yeah. So, um, as I mentioned, it it was a lot of ups and downs and good news and bad news, but we always kind of had this hope that he would overcome it and and come through and um, be healthy once again. But um, last year, right around Thanksgiving time frame, we found out the news that uh, they were recommending hospice. So we knew... We knew that he was not well enough to continue fighting it and really just um, needed that, that support from, from a team like that. And so at that point, he had been living home, and my husband, Phil, made the decision that we too would move back to his mm-hmm. parents just to be with Chase for that, that duration of time, whatever it would be. And so um, doing that was difficult. I think yeah. for us, um, for me in particular, it was um, really being in it with him and not really having that opportunity to kind of step away from it and have your moments of exile and moments of of grief on your own. We were all there together and and you really um, were there for the good moments and the bad moments. And so it it was um, what I would have thought to be the most difficult period of his sickness. But, you know, to your sermon, it it just, it it was such a, a time of comfort and a time of um, really feeling God's presence through the people around us and the, yeah. the things that we experience. Yeah. Just say a little bit about what are some of those experiences. I think about um, the uh, friends of your mother-in-law that showed up and decorated mm-hmm. her house for Christmas. Um, were there other things that brought that comfort, tangible things? There were. Um, you know, for, for me, it's, it's interesting, especially reflecting on it this time of year now and thinking about presence and all the other things that are going through your mind and and, you know last year that just wasn't the focus it was just family it was chase it was being together and and loving each other and one of the ways that I I definitely experienced that was through chase himself Um, obviously you know chase really well and and he was a a pretty stoic guy but through that time he he had such a calmness about him that was just so powerful and, and um, uplifting, I think, for not only me but others in that, you know, it was, it was a difficult time. There was lots of tears and, and lots of questions to God about, you know, what, what is going on? Why is this happening? Mm-hmm. And one of the most visible ways that I saw his comfort was through Chase and really just being with Chase and having a sense of comfort in his presence, which I think can only be explained by the Holy Spirit being in him. Yeah. Um, and the night that Chase passed is another kind of important or really powerful moment for me was just really feeling God's presence physically, like even in my body, um, in the moments before he passed. It was just a strange sense of calmness that, that he was with us and that wow. he was with Chase. Cool. Very neat. Well, um, Chase's, your journey with Chase, um, 
has changed you. You've talked about that. And you went through lay care training this last fall. Tell us how uh, this journey has changed you and how that connects with you deciding to go through lay care training. Sure. So, um, you know, originally my thought was kind of I've gone through this experience, um, this painful experience, and, and felt God's presence and what better way than to be somebody who can empathize with other people who are going through their exile, whether it's losing somebody or, or something else. And so that was kind of my original thought going into the training. But um, since, since going through it, it's really just expanded beyond that. I think lay care is so much more about not necessarily being there to give somebody the answers or help them yeah. navigate the way, but really just letting them know that they're not alone and that they have others around them that are, are loving them and, and there for them to, to just listen. Yeah. Um, so that, that's been kind of the biggest takeaway going through the training, and I'm excited to, to get started. Great. Well, thank you for being here, and I'd love to pray for you. Yeah. Holy God, uh, we are so grateful that you are a God, a God who loves us and comforts us, that stands with us in exile. I thank you for Andrea and her family and the way they have modeled your love and comfort to others, God. Lord, uh, you amaze us, you continue to love us in ways beyond anything we can imagine and we thank you, we thank you God for that comfort that we receive and in turn are called to give to others. All this in your holy name, amen. Well, the God of comfort, that's who Isaiah was talking about. And the word of God that Isaiah spoke about is the word from the same God that became flesh in Jesus. And that's what we anticipate and yearn for and celebrate in this season. God with us. We all need Jesus. 